while here uh, to worship the Lord and just to, even just for a brief moment, just to focus on the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, and also welcome and Merry Christmas to anybody who may be joining us via live stream as well. It's good to have you. And um, uh, as we celebrate the, the, the season, right, we, we get together with family and friends, although obviously it's kind of different this time around. We're doing so more through a, a screen because of the pandemic and everything. So it doesn't really feel like Christmas, but it is. Uh, but this is a time where we actually we, we come together and we can, uh, even just by a way of reminder, we can think about the, uh, the birth of Christ and, and how that is uh, the, the center of our, of our holiday season. And so uh, we, when we celebrate uh, Christmas, we think about Advent as well, Advent, which means uh, the coming of Christ. Uh, it, it commemorates the birth of Christ. And for the Advent season, we, uh, traditionally, we, we light uh, four candles, one for each week leading up to Christmas. And each candle represents a different theme, so love, uh, hope, uh, faith, uh, and, and joy. And the last candle that we, that we light on Christmas Eve, during the Christmas Eve service, is, the, uh, is, is essentially the, the, the candle that commemorates the birth of Christ, that all these different themes and many others come together in the birth of Jesus Christ. And the Advent season is not only about the birth of Christ, but the, the Advent season is also about the, the, the second Advent, that is the, the second coming of Christ. Uh, the scriptures promise us, they tell us that Jesus will one day come again, and that all these different themes of love and joy and peace and faith uh, co- will come together again when Christ returns uh, for his people. So uh, before I light the last candle, let me just give you just a, a couple of housekeeping uh, items for you to be aware of in case you're not. Uh, the first is that traditionally we would have a fellowship time after the service, and unfortunately we won't do that this time around just because it's uh, there's no way that we can safely get together with, uh, with sweets uh, and drinks downstairs uh, while every, keeping everybody six feet apart and serving food. Um, so that's, uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to make sure that you are aware of is that uh, traditionally at the conclusion of our service, we will end with uh, singing Silent Nights, which we will do so uh, this evening. Uh, but the only difference is that we won't uh, be having... Uh, the lighting of the candles, uh, because again, we're trying to keep everyone uh, six feet apart, just keeping everybody uh, just, uh, just safe. So we will conclude with that song. Uh, so just to give you an idea of kind of how things will run uh, this morning, um, I'll, we'll sing, uh, we'll uh, light the candle, uh, I'll, I'll pray for us, uh, and then there'll be a, a short video, uh, kind of think of it as a, as a sort of a, a, a good uh, devotional um, and a little uh, humorous as well. Uh, and then uh, Chris will lead us in a time of, of worship through some songs, and there'll be a short message, uh, then concluding with a couple more songs and Silent Night. So with all that being said, let me uh, light this last candle, and then I'll pray for us, uh, and then we'll show a quick video. Uh, Heavenly Father, we have come before you uh, this evening, and we want to give you the glory and worship, Lord. And I just echo the, the words of the Virgin Mary who glorified the Lord and said that my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That is who you are to us and we see this so magnificently in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that you may help us to reflect on the birth of Christ and what that means for us and all that he has come to do for us. And that this would be a time uh, that you would may be honored uh, and glorified. And we pray that you may speak to us uh, this evening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He reveals them. And it's a cousin named Jesus. Um, for he? For he must save his people from the sin. Matthew. 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 One. Yay! The guy in the town is David, and Daniel has him born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Luke 2, 11. Luke 2, 13 and 14. And suddenly, that's what the angels, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. Matthew. And being found in human form, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, Philippians 2 Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, Philippians 2 9. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Philippians 2.10 Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians 2.11 It's so good. It's so good. Hey, you guys stand. Uh, it's good to be together. It's good to be here with you guys again tonight. I love what Ademi started with. Um, they waited in the, ad, the original Advent season for Jesus to come the first time as the Messiah. Amen. Uh, but we wait still to this day, right? We wait, though, for his return. He's already come once and fulfilled the work. Now he will come back for his people. And so we wait now in that middle gap. And so we're going to sing this old traditional Christmas song, and um, we're going to worship Jesus as we sing it, but uh, we're going to do a newer version, which sort of ties both of the waitings together, which I really love that for us tonight. And so we, we say, come now long expected Jesus. And, uh, and so we're going to sing this together, and let's just worship Jesus tonight from the depths of our hearts, not just singing songs that we've heard a million times, but really letting our hearts magnify the Lord as we heard earlier tonight. Amen? Let's just praise Him.
take it now. Oh, come let. Come on now. You take it. Lift it up. And oh, come let us adore. Oh, come let us in Christ stay standing we're gonna read a scripture together and then um and then we'll do one more song and then demi will come and that is super tiny on that back screen so i might just turn around and read it <laughs> my bad i didn't memorize it I, I saw i'm sorry i'm sorry here we go but we'll read it together from one screen it's a community thing here we go for to us a child is born to us a son is given 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. What a beautiful prophecy about the Messiah. Amen. And we just celebrate today. We've got to be reminded. I love the word that Jimmy used. We're reminded that this is what happened. Jesus came and he fulfilled the prophecies. So let's just keep worshiping. This is a beautiful song, King of Kings. It's our story, right? In the darkness, we were waiting. Amen. And then he came. In the darkness, we were waiting without hope, without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. coming and to reconcile the lost. You redeemed the whole creation. You did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake, you died.
more time. We praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. Jesus, we just give you all the praise, all the honor, all the glory to the King of Kings, the name above all names. You are on the throne above all thrones. You rule above all rule and reign anywhere else in the universe. Jesus, we thank you for coming. We thank you that we can celebrate that you did come as the Messiah. We thank you for the promise of your return that we can still say, come long expected Jesus, you're coming again. You will fulfill all your promises. So we worship you tonight and we celebrate you in Jesus. In your beautiful name we pray and sing. Amen. This evening, I'll read from Romans chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me there. If not, that's all right. We have uh, the words will be up on, up on the screen. Romans 5, verses 9 through 11. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Father, we pray to you. We ask that you may be with us. Help us to reflect on the birth of Christ and what that has accomplished for us. We pray in his name, amen. I heard a, an older man say to a younger man once, this was in the context of uh, the topic of marriage, said to the younger man that, said, son, marriage is about you saying that you're wrong and that she is right. There's some Definitely some truth to that, but I would also add that, ladies, there's, it goes both ways as well. Apologizing isn't easy. Nobody likes to apologize. I don't think you'll ever find anybody who writes on the top ten things that they like to do, that they like to apologize. Apologizing requires some humility, right, to be able to say, I'm sorry, to be able to say, I was wrong, to say that what I did wasn't right, it's humbling to admit that you're wrong. And sometimes what makes apologizing difficult is when somebody makes you be, feel bad about apologizing. Well, we don't like to apologize to those kind of people that will just add salt to the wound, that will just make you feel even worse after apologizing when you had every good intention of just trying to apologize to the person. But apologizing is essential. It's necessary for any kind of healthy relationship. If you have any close friends, right, you're going to hurt each other sometimes, and it's necessary for you to be able to say, I'm sorry, right? It's definitely important in the context of marriage and relationships between siblings. To be a, a good Christian, you have to be able to say, I'm sorry, if you're going to live with other Christians, if you're going to do life with other Christians, meaning on a regular basis. But if you're not, even if you're not being a good Christian, just to be a good, decent person, you have to be able to say, sorry, because otherwise, how can anybody ever get along with another individual? If nobody ever apologized, then we would all be living in seclusion by ourselves because we, never, we, we would never want to apologize and reconcile and live with other people. But apologizing is necessary. It's what makes for reconciliation. The first step of reconciling with another person is to say, I'm sorry. So what I want to, for the brief time that we have, is just talk about reconciliation Namely, how that's found for us in Jesus Christ. And so this uh, will sort of be a continuation of a sermon that I preached this past Sunday. So I'll do just a quick review with some, a little bit of added content, but mainly just focusing on reconciliation and how reconciliation is found through Jesus Christ. So Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God created 
the heavens and the earth, and he created man, and he created man for himself, and he created the garden, and he put man and his wife Eve into the, in the garden and, asked, and commanded them to, to, to tend to it, to multiply it. Essentially, God gave them the world and said, expand, produce, work in the world. Everything was there for the taking with the exception of one tree that God commanded and said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for the day that you do, you will surely die. You know, and that's what happens. Right? Then uh, the serpent enters a picture, deceives the man and the woman, and they take of this forbidden fruit. Right? Isn't it so us that we desire the one thing that we cannot have? And in this one sin, or this one transgression, this one disobedience, we see a few different things. We see that man is discontent with what's been given to him. He had everything in the world. Everything was for the taking. Everything belonged to him. And not only that, but he walked with God. But he wanted the one thing he could not have. And so he showed that he was discontent with everything that he already had. Not only that, but it showed that he was dissatisfied with God. We read in Genesis that man walked with God. Man had a close relationship with with God, unsevered by sin and disobedience. But this inclination or this desire for the one thing that he could not have and to take the one thing that was forbidden showed that he was dissatisfied with God. I don't want God anymore. The man was no longer wholeheartedly devoted to God. The scriptures tell us that man shall uh, love the Lord Love the Lord your God with all of your hearts and all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. It's calling for a wholehearted devotion to God. And in this moment, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were no longer wholeheartedly devoted to their God, to their maker, to their father. And what happened was then the curse and then death, which is what God warned them would happen. Though they didn't die immediately, but they did die in two different ways, just in a spiritual sense, because that sin severed man from his relationship with God. And uh, the Bible has a category for living dead men, dead in trespasses and sins, but still alive, very much alive, very much still breathing. But then there was also a physical death. There began the aging process, and then we see Adam and Eve died, and everyone who came after also died. And even shortly after this one transgression in the garden, we see murder happen so quickly, how quickly it escalated. And it wasn't even between two strangers. It was between one brother and another. One brother, jealous and angry towards another, killed his own brother. We might think when we see the the curse upon man and the consequences of his actions, we might tend to think, well, isn't that a little harsh? I mean, isn't God supposed to be loving? Isn't God supposed to be merciful? Isn't God supposed to be kind and and faithful and compassionate? And he is, all of those things. He has a father's heart. But it's like having, it's like raising a child. You do everything for, you protect, you you nurture, you give them home, you give them Christmas presents and the holidays, you do everything for them, and that child one day saying, you know what, I don't want you anymore. I don't want to live with you anymore. I want to be my own person. I want to go do my own thing. In fact, I think this person's parents are better, and I want to be their child instead of yours. But you would consider that a slap in the face. You would consider that to be hurtful. You might even be angry. That's essentially what happened in the garden. And as a father or as a mother, if your child came back, you would love them, you would embrace them, you'd be happy to welcome them back home because you love them. You desire for them to come back home. But let's say that that child not only walked away from you, but stole from you, took your wallet and just left and lived lavishly, took your credit card and spent it on whatever he wanted until finally the cops found him and brought him back to your home and you might embrace him, you might be glad to, that, the, that, he, that he's come back. But you would also consequence that child, wouldn't you? You would love them, but at the same time you'd say, you're going to pay back every, every penny that you stole from me because that's what a loving parent does. 
part of love is consequencing. To not consequence is to show, is, is, is not to show love. Because you want them to learn that there are consequences for their actions. And so the entire story of the Bible is, is one of peace and reconciliation. God pursuing peace and reconciliation. He goes and pursues them over and over and over again, delivering them, rescuing them, performing miracles, sending leaders, sending prophets to call them back to himself. It's God giving them a priesthood, people who would, into, who would be intermediaries between God and, and God's people. He would give them kings that, would, uh, that were intended to lead people to God. But time and time and time again, the people continue to disobey, continue to fall away. They continue to turn their backs to God. But God continues to pursue reconciliation with his people. Until finally, it's found in the birth of Jesus Christ. God's pursuit of reconciliation came most dramatically and came most miraculously in the birth of Jesus Christ. Matthew one twenty one says that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Because that is the problem. Every time the man failed and continued to walk away from God, as we read in the scriptures, it's because of man's sin. Man continues to just want his own way, to walk away from God and do his own thing, and it never turned out good. And so the problem was sin, and Matthew one twenty one tells us that Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sins, because that is essentially the problem, and that is the essence of the gospel, right? that Christ, the Son of God, came into this earth, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross to take our sins upon himself, to take the consequences of our sins upon himself. So that anybody who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of their sins and not reconciled to God. And the scandalous thing about the gospel, about Christ coming into the world, is that we weren't looking to apologize. We had no intention, not even the, the, the smallest inkling, to want to apologize to God. But God sent his son into the world anyway so that anyone who believes in him may be forgiven of their sins. That anyone who gives their whole heart to the Lord to follow him may be forgiven of their sins. To place one's faith in Jesus Christ, in a way, in a sense, is kind of to apologize. To have faith in Christ is to say, God, I am a sinner, and I am in need of your forgiveness. I am in need of reconciliation. And the gospel assures us that when you place your faith and trust upon Christ, you receive forgiveness, and you are reconciled to God, and that you are then considered a child of the living God. And then fast forward to Revelation, as we're thinking about Advent and the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, and we're also thinking about the second Advent of Christ. Revelation 21 tells us of the new heavens and the new earth after Jesus has already come and brings his people into the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation 21, it tells us that this is a place where God will dwell with man because God will be with his people. Right? It brings us back to the very beginning where man walked with God. The beginning is also the end. And in this, and in this concluding chapter, it tells us that in this new heaven, there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. I mean, can you imagine a place like that? We're no longer in agony. We're no longer suffering. You won't shed a single tear for all of eternity. I mean, what causes, in our entire lifetime, what causes a lot of the hurt and pain and tears that we shed? It's other people. It's stranger co-worker, it's a sibling, right? it's a family member, it's a close friend that sometimes causes us anger or sorrow. And heaven is a place where there will be no more tears. Heaven is a place 
where nobody will need to apologize to one another for hurting one another because hurting one another is not going to exist. Because the scriptures tell us that heaven will be a place where we'll be perfected, where there will be no more sin and we will have no inclination to sin. And that we will always want to look out for each other's best interests. The passages in Romans chapter 5 that we began with talk about, essentially talking about how Christ absorbs our offenses against God. He takes it upon himself so that we may be spared. It says that we are justified. And if we are justified, we are saved from the wrath of God. Justified in the sense that you are cleared, you are declared innocent. Anyone who placed their faith in Christ is declared an innocent person. They are righteous that debt of sin that we've been accruing all our lives, that list that continues to grow and grow and grow, is completely shredded. One place their faith in Jesus Christ because Christ takes that list upon himself and the consequences upon, of, of those sins upon himself. And those who are justified will be saved from the wrath of God because the wrath and the judgment and the condemnation of God doesn't come upon innocent people. That is, those who are innocent in Christ. Those passages in Romans 5 tells us that we are reconciled to God. That is, that relationship is no longer marked by hostility. As the scriptures tell us, when you believe in Jesus, that you are reconciled to God, that that relationship is marked by peace. And if you are reconciled to God, then you will be saved. That is, that you will see the new heavens and the new earth. Because Jesus has absorbed those offenses, those sins upon himself. Right, going back to that illustration about a child who is wayward and steals from you. Right, and they were to come back and you love them, but then you consequence them. The story of the gospel, it's like that kind of situation, but having a sibling who comes in and says, Dad or Mom, let me take his consequences. Let me pay the debt on his behalf. Let him go. That's what Christ offers. That we be spared. Christ offers to take the consequences upon himself, to absorb it all, so that we might be spared. The first step of reconciliation, pursuing reconciliation, is to say, I'm sorry. And saying sorry is humiliating, not in like ashamed or I'm going to make fun of you kind of humiliating, but humiliating in a sense like it's humbling. It humbles you to be able to go to another person and say, I'm sorry. To go to another person and say, what I did was wrong or I was wrong about this. But it's also humbling for the other person as well. If I come to you and I say, I am sorry, it's humbling for you because if you were to turn around and say, you know what, it's okay, or to say, I forgive you, what you are doing is that you are absorbing the consequences. What you are doing is that you're choosing not to retaliate. You're choosing not to revenge yourself. You're choosing not to pay me back for the wrong that I did to you. So it's really, it's humbling in both ways. Because you might say that you're justified in getting back at the person, but forgiveness says, I'm going to choose not to get back at you. And through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, when we come to him and we place our faith in him, God is choosing not to pay us back. He's choosing not to make us pay the debt of sin that we owe him because Christ has done it on our behalf. So as you think about the holiday season, think about Christ coming into the world to give us reconciliation with God. Right? And if you are yet to reconcile with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that is the most important relationship of reconciliation you need to be pursuing. To pursue reconciliation with God through Jesus Christ. As you're thinking about the holiday season, perhaps even think about people in your life or in your circles that you might need to reconcile with. Right, who do you need to say sorry to? 
Who have you hurt? Who have you offended? Maybe you have relationships that you are, people in your life who are estranged. Maybe you used to celebrate the holidays with, but no longer because something happened in your relationship and nobody has said sorry. Take that first step and say, I'm sorry. And maybe you have, and the person doesn't reciprocate. Sometimes that happened and you need not feel guilty or bad about it. And what the gospel enables us to do when we believe in Jesus Christ, we understand what Christ has done for us, and that frees us to be able to go to another person and say, I'm sorry. But maybe you're the other end. Maybe somebody needs to say sorry to you. Maybe you've been offended. Maybe you've been hurt. And maybe the person who's offended you has come and said sorry. And maybe you haven't accepted their, forgive, their, their apology. Or maybe you say you did but you're still kind of holding a grudge. You haven't really let it go. In that sense, you haven't really reconciled. You haven't really let it go. And through the gospel, when you believe in the gospel, you understand that you've been forgiven much. And if you've been forgiven much, if you really understand that, then you also can forgive others their trespasses and their offenses towards you as well. But without that reconciliation, without that that apologizing, but there isn't a healthy way to move on. And this is what Christ has come to do for us, to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to him so that we may be restored, so that we may have a good and vibrant and joyful relationship with him. And that's one of the reasons why we celebrate the Advent season. We celebrate and we commemorate the birth of Christ and look forward to the second coming of Christ where this reconciliation with God will be consummated, will be perfected, and we will one day dwell with God just as man did in the very beginning when he created everything. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for giving us this forgiveness even though we were not looking to apologize. You pursued us and you have loved us and you gave us your son so that we may have a way to be reconciled with you. May we rejoice in that. May we celebrate that. And we pray for those who do not have that reconciliation with God. We pray that they may be reconciled with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that that would even happen this week. We thank you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's just stand and close out the last few minutes together tonight, just celebrating through song, um, just everything we've been talking about and hearing about tonight. Heart the herald angels sing Glory to the newborn King, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies, with angelic hosts proclaim, Christ is born. Bye.
First again.
Amen. So good to have you with us to worship the Lord and just to think about the birth of Christ and also the second coming of Christ. I hope that this was a joyful and a blessing and encouragement to you. Let me just leave you with these uh, words from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, which looks forward to the second advent of Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the voice and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas and enjoy your holidays.